of the things to really think about as Islanders is, and something that we're used to thinking about, is that, you know, sort of self-sufficiency is just like rooted in island life. And if you can do something without importing stuff from off the island, then that's a smarter way to do it. From the Island Institute, it's Commercial Currents, the podcast, a show about small business on Maine's islands and coasts, where we share the power of community and creativity through the voices of small business owners and those who partner with us. And I'm your host, Claire Donnelly. Today's show is a little bit different. We're stepping back from the current economic crisis to talk about the clean energy transition. The climate crisis waits for no pandemic. And so in this episode, we're talking with TL Tudor of Revision Energy. TL is a born and raised Islesboro Islander who, after spending time pursuing a degree in economics and traveling the world, made his way back to Maine and now works as a solar designer at Revision. In this episode, we talk all things solar, how community-driven projects are starting to make investing in solar more accessible, and why now is actually the perfect time to start investing in solar infrastructure. I think, you know, we've seen this year that the demand for clean energy projects is quite resilient to, you know, economic uncertainty you know, for a variety of reasons. I mean, one of them is that, you know, investing in your own energy or at least reducing your energy costs is always going to be a good business decision. Um, And it makes your business, you know, more resilient for the future if you can lower your costs. Um, There also are very low interest rates right now for homes and businesses. So people can borrow money to finance these, you know, upfront investment projects that do require a significant amount of capital. Um, But if you can get a really good loan, then that project can start saving you money right from the very beginning. Um, So that is really, really important. um, And something that, you know, there's a lot of great research and reports coming out right now. And I think there's actually like such a great connection between sort of the economic effects of the pandemic and the clean energy transition, which is that, you know, we, this is like the best time that we have to provide great loans um, and put a bunch of people to work in this vital clean energy transition. You know, the most recent study I saw is that you know, this transition will, is gonna employ about 25 million people uh, that's 25 million jobs throughout the country, some in every zip code. Um, and that's upgrading the infrastructure that we have. You know, I think some people can sort of categorize this differently, but in a lot of ways, it is very, very simple that we have aging infrastructure. We have a lot of modern clean technology that does all those things better, more efficiently using data, using the internet. Um, there's so much opportunity for us to sort of modernize the way that we use energy in this country. 
And that's going to make a lot of really good jobs in the process. And I'd really like to think bring our country back together in so many ways um, and sort of a shared goal and mission for making our country and our economy more resilient, less reliant on imported fossil fuels, um, cleaner and, you know, more energy dollars spent in local economies rather than fossil fuels imported from away. Yeah, we've been talking with a lot of small business owners about building resilient systems right now. And it's just interesting to think about solar, clean energy kind of being like the ultimate resilient system. So I'm curious to dive into like kind of a specific small business example. And I know Gabe Pendleton of Pendleton Yard on Islesboro Island has been on this podcast talking about his business and he has solar on his business. So I'm just curious, can you talk a little bit about that project, sort of how it came about and then maybe what it looks like today sort of cost-wise for him? Yeah, great question. That was uh, one of my favorite projects that I've been able to be a part of. Um, and it actually started from the Islesboro Energy Conference that I believe the Island Institute helped organize and, and put on. And I gave a presentation there. I'm not sure how many years ago this was at that point, maybe four, um, four or five. And Gabe and his dad were there, who I, you know, I've known my whole life. I've played a lot of basketball with both of them. Um, and you know, they, they wanted me to come down and you know, check out the Pendleton Yacht Yard, PYY, and looked at their electric bills. And you know, they've got a bunch of nice, sunny metal roofs there. Um, so great for a solar project. The really interesting part about their project was that they're in this rate class with the utility where they pay a lot of money every month based on their daily spikes in electricity usage from using big equipment in the boatyard. And their, you know, sort of demand profile, you know, you got to get sort of into the nitty gritty details of the 15 minute average of their electricity usage. Um, but we actually found that we could install a solar project with a smart battery system, and that battery would eliminate those demand charges because they were barely going over the threshold that CMP um, has set for charging them based on those demand charges. So we were able to put in that battery system um, the solar project covers their annual amount of electricity they use, and the battery keeps their, you know, 15-minute average demand on the electric grid below that important threshold. So now they are producing clean electricity on the island, covering the amount that they use per year, and with the battery system, have reduced their, their strain on the grid, essentially, um, to help, you know, lower costs for everybody. Yeah, that's very cool. That's a cool project. So for small business owners that maybe don't have the same roof space or a bunch of land to house all these solar panels, I know that community solar is now an option and something that Revision does. I'm curious, can you talk a little bit like what is a solar farm? How does it work? How does somebody buy into it? Um, so as we you know electrify everything, which I strongly believe and um, there are many 
smart academics, people way smarter than me that also believe it. So it feels like <laughs> a true statement um, that the key to tackling climate change is electrifying everything. And most or many houses don't have the roof space to cover all of the energy they need to drive their cars with electricity, run their lawnmowers, heat their water, lights, appliances, toasters, tools, everything. Um, so it makes sense to, if you've got a sunny roof, you know, put panels on that, make what you can on site. And then when both, you know, adults or whoever, however many electric vehicles you're charging at your house someday in the future, um, you're probably going to need to have a community solar farm share to cover um, some of that. There's a couple large projects that we've completed this year um, that are all sending electricity, you know, to a handful of municipalities. Um, as long as you're in the same utility territory, you can benefit from off-site solar. And community solar is really just that same idea, but for residential use um, or small business use, where instead of putting panels on your own roof or your own backyard, you purchase a share of a large array in another sunny field. And you own that system, you own the rights to that portion of the clean electricity of your share size, and you receive those credits on your bill for the kilowatt hours that your share sends into the grid. Um, so the economics are just the same. You get solar credits on your bill, just the same. Um, you just don't have to find a place on your own property for the project. We are about to turn on our the first ever large-scale ownership model community solar farm in Maine. The landowner for the project that we're just about to finish, he had this sort of fallow field that he tried to go strawberries on, he tried to go pumpkins on, um, and none of it worked. So it was just sitting there. He hadn't been able to do anything really useful with that few acres. And now he's going to host this solar project and have this um, small but consistent lease stream coming to him. Um, so that's, that's good for the local economy. And then, you know, revision, we figure out what that project's gonna look like. And then we find people who are interested in joining and um, owning a share of that farm. And we've, you know, really want to try to do these solar farms, you know, for Mainers, built by Mainers, that's benefiting Maine landowners. Um, and so we do the whole process, whereas other out-of-state developers are definitely less committed to Maine long-term. And there's a bunch of different companies that are doing different aspects. You know, one's finding the land, another one is designing the system and doing the engineering. Another one's finding the investor who's actually gonna get the tax credits from this project. Another one's finding the homeowners who are gonna sign up for this clean electricity. And usually that's all different people and they all have their own you know, incentives about what they're trying to get out of their piece. So um, it's good, you know, there's a lot of 
solar being built and developed in Maine right now. Um, but yeah, we're, we're trying to do it in the best way we can for the long-term resiliency of our state and communities. Hey everyone, I wanted to take a quick break to let you know about an upcoming small business event that I am personally very excited about. Maybe possibly because I may or may not be planning it, but also it's just a space that I'm very passionate about. It's our Business for Purpose and Profit panel discussion on January 21st with workshops following. So Business for Purpose and Profit is a way of thinking about for-profit businesses that captures who we are as humans, an understanding of the world at large, and the role of business in it to have a positive impact. It's grounded in this concept that when businesses shift to the middle and occupy that space between a typical for-profit corporation and a nonprofit organization, it positions them to have a positive impact on their community, on the planet, and on their profits. Maybe you've heard of the concept of the triple bottom line before. Anyway, as I said, this is a space that I'm really passionate about, and I'm really excited that the Island Institute gets to host this event. We have some rad panelists lined up, including Ben Waxman of American Roots, Tara Jenkins of Conscious Revolution, and Ben Conniff of Luke's Lobster. And then following this panel discussion, we're hosting a series of five workshops that will give small business owners or aspiring entrepreneurs the specific tools to start making that shift in their business. So mark your calendars, Thursday, January 21st at 5.30 p.m. is the panel discussion, and then the five following Thursdays for the workshops. If you subscribe to our Commercial Currents newsletter, you'll get notified as soon as the registration goes live. I'll put a link in the description to subscribe. And now back to my conversation with TL. So you mentioned this like for Mainers, built by Mainers, etc. It seems like you have a very strong connection to place or to this place, I guess, to the state. And I'm just curious, sort of like you personally, why do you feel like it's important for islands, rural communities, coastal communities to start acting on this transition? You know, I think one of the things to really think about as islanders is and something that we're used to thinking about is that you know, sort of self-sufficiency is just like rooted in island life. And if you can do something without importing stuff from off the island, then that's a smarter way to do it. Um, So, you know, right now we still import a lot of gasoline, a lot of oil, some kerosene, you know, propane, all that stuff is having to be hauled over in boats um, to get to the island, and it costs more than it does on the mainland. Um, if we, even without solar, if you just convert to electric vehicles or heating your house with heat pumps, um, you are saving a lot of money because we actually are fortunate on Islesboro to pay the same electricity rates as the mainland because we have a cable that runs under the bay out to the island. Um, so those those investments make sense on the mainland where you're paying like a dollar less per gallon for fossil fuels. And so they make even more sense um, on the island where you pay a premium for anything that's imported, um, but we're fortunate not to for electricity. Um, and then when you think about the fact that, well, we can make a lot of solar electricity on the island, um, that just starts to make even more sense. Um, 
So yeah, when I first sort of started, I don't know, sort of applying my island practicality and, and economics degree to the vital clean energy transition, I was surprised at how few of the solutions I was learning about had been implemented on the island. Um, but that was almost a decade ago. And now the island is covering over 100% or the municipal buildings of Islesboro are covering 100% of their electricity usage with a big array on the town office and a newer one on the transfer station. And then thanks to a bunch of important work from many community members and neighbors, the Islesboro Central School is covering almost half of its electricity usage with a ground-mounted project on Alumni Drive. Um, and there are at least 20 other solar projects on homes and businesses that have sprouted up on the island. And, you know, every time I, I get out there, it seems like I see more electric vehicles on the road. Um, and there's a lot of great community involvement. I think there's so much passion for, you know, thinking about the future of Islesboro, thinking about how we can plan for that future in an intelligent way. Islands are sort of this laboratory for development and uh, can make a lot of progress on different issues really quickly. And that's been, been really encouraging to see on Islesboro. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I think Galen, our producer, has a very important follow-up question on this electric vehicle issue. Yeah, but can you burn rubber with an electric vehicle? The people need to know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. They have, it's uh, instant torque with an electric motor. They are more fun to drive than an internal combustion engine, hands down. Um, they're also incredibly quiet. You know, I think about this often these days when you like hear a loud motorcycle go by or listen to like a chainsaw and a weed whacker and a lawnmower did that like cacophony, you know, you're just and I'm like, pretty soon these are all going to be electric, you know, boats going by, you know, it's it's all happening and really exciting for Maine, too. And thinking about, um, you know, the electric boat industry that is going to grow rapidly here and I think we could play a really big role in in leading on that industry you know that we have such history in as Mainers of uh, of boat building and I'd love to see us um, sort of take the reins uh, more in that growth and I know there's some really good good work going on from community members on the island about electric ferry um, to the island think there's work going on to for North Haven and Vinyl Haven um, as well and yeah you know it really there's all aspects of this transition and I think it's important for us these days to like focus on all the like how it's going to be great <laughs> and really exciting and cleaner air and less noisy and lower costs and employing people, you know, I think that unfortunately, and just sort of the nature of it, a lot of the climate change discussions have, the spokespeople have been climate scientists who are doing incredible work and very, very important work. Um, but it is really, really scary and depressing to hear how quickly 
we are changing the global climate. And it's, it's very real, um, but hearing that sort of fear over and over again, I think in some ways has like paralyzed us. Um, and I think we really need, um, as we enter this, the transformational 2020s, this decade that has started off very tumultuous for us, but hopefully um, can be more transformational and um, a little easier on everybody. But yeah, it's, it can be awesome to stop burning a bunch of fossil fuels in everything that we do. Um, so I like to, I like to think about that these days, um, instead of being terrified about, you know, what kind of climate my grandkids might have, which is good to be terrified about too, but, um, it's important to, to, to do some things about it and, uh, focus on the good reasons why we should do those things. Totally. Totally. So one thing we see with this pandemic is the widening income inequality gap. And I know that's also the same with climate change disproportionately affecting people living below the poverty line. And then that sort of compounded with this idea or perception that solar is only for wealthy folks. I'm just curious how you see all these different elements at play in the clean energy transition. The intersectionality of environmental justice and racial and economic injustice is massive where, you know, we cite power plants right now in communities who have lower economic standing and have less ability to sort of stand up for themselves and not have a polluting power plant installed right next door. There's a massive disproportionate impact of um, clean air and clean water or dirty air and dirty water on communities of color. Um, that's a really another massive benefit of getting off of our fossil fuel infrastructure. But it's important that we provide um, yeah, loans to everybody to make this um, make these benefits as equitable as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, the intersection, thinking about and recognizing the intersectionality is one thing. And then thinking about how to make things equitable and inclusive and how to make this accessible to everyone is something totally different. So this is my last question. And it's just sort of looking ahead in 10 years, where do you hope we'll be with clean energy? You know, what are we learning now that can build resilience into how we think about our energy consumption in the future? This is sort of like crystal ball moment, you know, where are we at in 2030 in terms of energy? Yeah, I mean, in 10 years, honestly, Maine should be basically net zero. It's hard to know what can happen in 10 years. I really, you know, I'm passionate about the acceleration that's going on now, and I think that's gonna continue. It really, really needs to um, accelerate even even more quickly. I think we finally have just like a growing awareness um, and will, sort of like individually and community and communities and politically, to make this stuff happen. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, solar in Maine? Like, what about our super long snowy winters? Like, that seems stupid. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's some really good graphs and maps that show you the solar resource compared to other places. 
Um, but the one fact that I think is the most sort of boils it down is that it, like the solar array on my house here in Portland, Maine, the same 24 panels in Houston, Texas will make almost exactly the same amount of clean electricity each year. And Texas gets a little more sun than we do, but it's like this hot, humid, muggy environment. And solar panels much prefer our cold, crisp, sunny days, and they operate more efficiently um, in our climate. So what you're losing by being covered by snow for a few days in January is a drop in the bucket in your annual production of a, a solar project um, over the course of the year. And because we have you know, great net metering policy in Maine, so you get a one-to-one -one credit, so you can literally bank up all that excess summer sunshine that's so glorious in our state. And then you can use that off um, in the winter when you're making less power and using more electricity, like I am at my house heating primarily with heat pumps and uh, a little wood stove backup. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting, TL. It's been a pleasure. I have learned a lot. You're welcome. And thank you all so much for listening. We are wrapping up this Business in Uncertain Times series. There's just one episode left, which will come out next Thursday. And that episode is just going to be Craig Olson, Senior Community Development Officer for the Small Biz Team, and I just sort of wrapping up the series. What have we learned? What are the opportunities that we're still seeing? What are the trends that we're seeing as we move into the new year? Stay tuned for what is going to come next on this podcast channel. So stay subscribed. Keep following us. Leave us a review if you feel so inclined. And please, as always, reach out at podcast.islandinstitute.org and let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, how you're feeling. And then, as always, you can subscribe to our Commercial Currents newsletter at islandinstitute.org backslash smallbusiness. That's our small business support newsletter. You'll get all of our resources, blog posts, and information about our upcoming events and workshops delivered right to your inbox. Our theme song is by Courtney Nallenbaugh and Bill Travaskis, and this episode was produced and edited by Galen Koch of the First Coast and me.